When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. With every day the situation in Gaza becomes more and more unlivable. Amal Hellas, who has been reporting for the Times from within Gaza for the whole war and who's appeared on this podcast, is one of the very few who's managed to get out with her children. Today, this morning, Mariam said to me, Mama, we are safe. I didn't imagine how this world is painful for me. She's uh, imagining that all places are not safe. I told her that Cairo, we are in Cairo, there is no war, no pumping, uh, no fire, no gunshot. So don't worry, my darling, we are in safe place. But for the roughly two million Palestinians stuck in Gaza, aid can't come soon enough. We're a month on now from the International Court of Justice ruling that The State of Israel shall take immediate and effective measures to ensure the provision of urgently needed basic services and humanitarian assistance to address the adverse conditions of life faced by Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. Even if the aid gets into Gaza, it's proving incredibly hard to distribute. Sean, one of our producers, has been hearing from someone working in Gaza. Hi, my name is Ian Campbell. I am a paramedic from the UK. My job in Gaza is as part of the initial crew in order to set up the project and giving the sort of paramedic logistics side of the position. Ian is working with CADUS, a German charity that works with the World Health Organization. He's been in Rafa, the city right at the south of the Strip, where it's estimated 1.5 million people are sheltering. Israel says its war cabinet has an evacuation plan and hints that a ground invasion of the city is still looming. But could there be progress on ceasefire talks? The UK government says a deal is within reach and the US president seems optimistic. My national security advisor tells me that we're close. We're close, it's not done yet. And my hope is by next Monday, we'll have a ceasefire. In terms of what's being discussed, it's reported a 40-day pause in fighting is on the cards. 
a swap of Palestinian prisoners in Israeli jails for Israeli hostages in Gaza on a 10 to 1 ratio, and a serious ramping up of the number of aid trucks getting into Gaza per day, 500. Earlier this week, the Israelis said they'd managed 245. It feels like a very different humanitarian response to others that we've done. The sort of scale and weight of this crisis is quite hard to understand and comprehend. But will all of this, if agreed, be enough? Many aid workers don't seem to think so. We need a permanent ceasefire to be able to function. Uh, we need the conditions to be able to exist for aid delivery. Um, and, you know, ceasefire has to be coupled with an increase in the aid routes that are available um, and an ability for that aid to move. Today, we will take you inside Rafa, where that aid is needed. Driving through the um, city, then you just sort of see people in tents everywhere. And these, you know, displaced people from across the country. There's visible signs of malnutrition and obvious hunger. And we'll hear of the struggles to distribute what little is there. There was a recent attempt to get a convoy into northern Gaza, which turned into mob rule, where law and order had broken down and people were absolutely swarming the trucks in, in, in mm. pure desperation. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Luke Jones. Today, aid in Gaza. A month on, did the ICJ make any difference? My name is George Grills. I am the defence correspondent for The Times. I have recently been reporting a lot from Ukraine and Israel. So since October 7th, I've been back and forth between London and, and Tel Aviv. If we take a step back and, and look at what pressure is on this situation, the ICJ, the International Court of Justice, the UN's top court, in this case that South Africa brought against Israel, accusing them of genocide, released an interim ruling in January to, well, one of the things that they said in that was they impressed on Israel the need for humanitarian assistance to actually reach people in Gaza. Has that at all been heeded? So South Africa brought a case to the International Court of Justice in The Hague alleging that what is taking place in Gaza at the moment is a genocide. Now, that court case could take years. But in the meantime, they wanted an interim judgment, which the ICGA made, which called on Israel to do a few specific things. Crucially, it stopped short of saying that Israel needed to halt the uh, invasion altogether and end its military campaign. But it did say that it needed to take steps to improve the flow of humanitarian aid to Gaza, food and medical supplies, the efforts to get humanitarian aid in so far are not what the international community would want. They would argue that Israel is merely paying lip service to that ruling. There was a period when the average number of trucks going in daily, so bear in mind that figure of 500 or so hmm. before October the 7th to feed and sustain the population of Gaza. Around January, it seemed to be hovering between 100 and 200. And most recently, it seems to have gone 
down again more towards sort of 50 to 100. There doesn't seem to be a particular logic to how many go through each day, but there does seem to be a kind of a squeezing of the number of Mm. trucks that have gone through of late. And when you say Israel's paying lip service to the pressure being put on it by the ICJ and others, how do you mean? As in what they're saying on broadcast and the rest is different to what they're actually doing at that border? Frankly, they have publicly ridiculed the ICJ ruling. Netanyahu has shrugged it off. Israel has an inherent right to defend itself. The vile attempt to deny Israel this fundamental right is blatant discrimination against the Jewish state, and it was justly rejected. Our war is against Hamas terrorists, not against Palestinian civilians. We will continue to facilitate humanitarian assistance and to do our utmost to keep civilians out of harm's way. It's Mar Ben-Gvir, who's an influential figure. He's a, a far-right minister in Netanyahu's government. I think he reacted to the ruling by saying, Hague Schmeig, in reference to the location of where the ICJ is. Ian Campbell is a paramedic in the UK. He's lectured on paramedic science and medical ethics, but on the 5th of February, he crossed the border into Gaza and into Rafa. This was Wednesday, one of only two days a week when the border is open to aid workers. Ian and his team had a plan and two weeks of rations. They're very much limiting how many numbers can come in and delayed because you have to give a week's notice in advance and it needs to all be agreed by the relevant authorities. The big problem on the borders is is all of the goods getting in and supplies of medicines large enough for a big population. Two days later, Ian sent us this. We've been here in country for about three days now, starting to set up our first mission. We are lucky in that we have been fixed up with a base to stay in by local people here. It's a a big ground floor with some pallets up to create a sort of wall. And uh, and then we've got two big bedrooms with us and a small kitchen area, have our camping gas to make our rations. We've brought inflatable mattresses and sleeping bags. And so we're sleeping on the floor. Hi, Ian. So it's the 10th of February now, Saturday the 10th of February, and I've just woken up to the news that Netanyahu has ordered the evacuation of 1.5 million Palestinians from Rafa. I just wondered, you know, how are you? How, What's it like there? It's very hard to imagine if this evacuation happened, how that would look and what would happen to all of these people. The streets are all very, very busy, and the children, is it's shocking. It's, it hasn't been a quiet night since we're here. And you wake up to the sound of a bomb dropping and then to the wail of children who are screaming and crying and scared. We had one explosion very near to our house, near enough to shake us out of bed and have the smell of burnt munitions fill our house. It was probably about 3 a.m., but we could hear the whistle of the missile and then this huge explosion that shook all of the the house and woke all all of us up. But we got straight out of bed, checked to make sure everyone was okay. And then, honestly, I just went back to sleep. It took about half an hour or so. 
but having been in Ukraine and been woken up by explosions multiple times, sleep is so important. So you just learn to get back to sleep through these things, unfortunately. We feel safe enough to continue working, but I can't stress enough how this is already the highest risk operation our NGO CADOS has ever undertaken, and we regularly go into high-risk areas. It's what we do. And if this ground operation happens and Rafa gets invaded, then the scale of this humanitarian disaster is beyond any comprehension. Ian's working in the emergency room of the European Gaza Hospital. Strictly speaking, it has space for 240 patients, but they've actually been treating around 1,000. Without aid deliveries, though, basics are in short supply. In the emergency room, we've even been asked if we can supply and bring pens. It's that bad. Our doctor today was struggling with a Burns patient and didn't have any gauze to use. There was a... Uh, a child with a very significant fracture who would, didn't have any appropriate analgesia and no access to surgery. It's, it's really bad. Getting aid around the Gaza Strip is difficult, but even getting it through the border crossing is proving somewhat difficult. Some Israeli protesters are blocking some trucks. George Grills saw it for himself. I think it, it's fair to say that there's a range of opinions, but... Some of the most strident voices have an outsized uh, impact. So I'm thinking particularly of those protesters who have been going down to Kerem Shalom, which is the sort of crossing point between Egypt, Israel and Gaza. And basically for about a month now, they have been going to try and stop convoys of trucks carrying food, medicine, water supplies into Gaza from providing any relief. They say, how on earth can you fight a war and feed your enemy at the same time? I'm here because I don't believe that anybody in Gaza should be getting our humanitarian aid. Uh, This is a war going on here, and my brothers are fighting out there, and this is just prolonging the war. It is a complete absurdity that Gaza, the Hamas, gets to have whatever he wants, while Hamas doesn't give back anything. But they go to quite extraordinary lengths to hold these protests, which have also spread to Ashdod, which is a, a port into which a lot of the aid is is imported, and Nitzana, which is a crossing point between Israel and Egypt, which is also where checks are taking place. So just paint a picture of that for us. Place it for us exactly on a map. And when you got there, what you saw? It's next to the Mediterranean. It's in the southwest corner of Israel. And it has a small southern border with Egypt, and otherwise it's basically surrounded by Israel. You know, we were going kind of expecting, you know, extremist settlers, far-right protesters, and certainly they were there. You know, there were people with Jewish power tattoos, and um, there were a lot of elderly people. There were a lot of people bringing their kids. There were women breastfeeding. It was a really sort of family fun day out where you start by sort of trying to get around the... Israeli police are sort of nominally making an effort to stop them getting to Kerem Shalom because there's been international pressure to get the aid into Gaza. Mm. 
And in the distance, you just see this long line of trucks, which is right up against the border with with Egypt. And that's where the trucks are being checked by the IDF, Israel's Defense Forces, to make sure that there are no weapons going into Gaza that could be smuggled into Hamas. Mm. In effect, this blockade is, it didn't last very long, put it that way. It, it didn't have much effect in terms of holding the protesters back. And dare I say, the Israeli army made a pretty pathetic attempt to stop people going through. I mean, if I'm talking about people with prams and babies, if they wanted to, they probably could have stopped it. You know, we were there for a matter of minutes before there was some fencing that you might see at a festival that was pretty quickly knocked down. Everyone swarmed through. There was this kind of joyous eruption of of everyone surging towards uh, the gap in the fence. This fence is what was separating the protesters from the trucks. And then they basically set up camp around the trucks. People were bringing picnic tables over and setting up food around the trucks. In the distance, by the way, you can hear the the bombing of Gaza going on because you're right on mm. the border. And then are they trying to stop the trucks from moving forward? Are they trying to obstruct the IDF's work, checking them, and then if the trucks aren't checked, they can't go any further? I mean, what, what physically are the protesters trying to do? That's the idea. In effect, once you get past this first cordon, there was a second cordon that was separating them from the trucks. Now, they basically sit on the ground and on the tarmac there to stop any more trucks going through that day. Hmm. I was there a couple of weeks ago. Since then, the protests have continued. It's become a sort of routine part of how sort of extremist Israelis who want to continue prosecuting the war sort of express their their anger. And from your vantage point, obviously journalists can't get into Gaza except in quite extraordinary circumstances and usually they're embedded with Israeli forces so are shown things as opposed to being able to go about their own business. From your vantage point when you've been reporting there, what can you glean about how desperate the need is for aid within Gaza? Hard to understate. I mean, the more apocalyptic reports are going from northern Gaza, we've read claims of people eating grass to survive, people hunting for cats, people mixing animal feed with grain to sort of make bread. There was a recent attempt to get a convoy into northern Gaza, which is, like I say, probably the worst hit. Mm. Those convoys were swarmed and basically it, it turned into mob rule where law and order had broken down and people were absolutely swarming the trucks in, in, in mm. pure desperation. On Sunday the 11th of February, five days into Ian's visit to Gaza, he saw this desperation firsthand. Hi Ian, I hope everything's going okay over there since it's been a few days since we last spoke. What have you been up to? How's it been? On the way back from hospital one day, our car got uh, surrounded and um, attacked by a very large mob of people who were desperate, just looking for any source of food, uh, with some windows broken. It was a very dangerous situation for us and uh, very traumatic for the team. Due to these... uh, rather significant incidents. Some of our team felt unable to continue. And so we've had to temporarily, unfortunately, cease our medical operations for the next five days.
coming up as Israel searches for its remaining hostages, Ian ends up dangerously close to the fighting. That's in a moment. This weekend, Time subscribers can catch the latest episode of Inside the Newsroom. It's our new behind-the-scenes series on Apple Podcasts. It's just for subscribers on the Stories of Our Times feed. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash bonus podcasts to find out more. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's now Monday, 12th of February. Ian has been in Gaza for just under a week, and in the early hours of the morning, a small team of Israeli forces enter Rafah, looking for hostages. The Israeli military says it's rescued two of the hostages abducted by Hamas during a raid in the Gaza Strip. Their release from an apartment in Rafah was announced shortly after Israel carried out an intense aerial bombardment of the city. Our team's house was within a few hundred metres of the raid. There was fighting very close. You could see flashes, we could hear small arms fire, we could hear multiple explosions. It was a very scary night. We remained safe through the night. We sheltered in place, away from any walls and windows, and as sheltered as we can. Our producer, Sean, didn't hear from Ian for seven days after that, a week in which, especially in the north, the situation becomes more dire. The World Food Programme says it has been forced to pause food deliveries into northern Gaza as the several hundred thousand Palestinians remaining in the isolated rubble of Gaza City grow increasingly desperate. The UN relief body, now facing what it calls complete chaos and violence due to the collapse of civil order. Hi, Ian. 
just wondered how long you're planning to stay and how it's been since we last spoke. So our team will be working in a trauma stabilisation point that is run by the Palestinian Red Crescent Society. They spent the day there yesterday assisting and it was really, uh, really intense. The patients are unable to call ambulances and the ambulances are unable to come and collect them because it's so dangerous. And so people are brought in in cars, tuk-tuks, even like horse carts, often with horrific injuries that are, you know, by that point, at least an hour old. It's pretty horrific because we talk about the golden hour in trauma, and that's that first hour post-traumatic injury is the time that you can really save someone's lives. So that uh, a, lo a lot of time when lost, when people may have survived from their injuries, somewhere else they're unable to survive here. And then, you know, like the absolute lack of analgesia in this country uh, because of these border controls is uh, appalling. I was doing things yesterday I never thought I would ever do as a paramedic. On the 21st of February, Ian's fortnight is almost over. So it's time to go so a new team can take their place. Sorry, it's a bit loud as I'm, uh, as I'm on the bus at the Rafa crossing. Um, you know, this morning we were hearing bombs drop again, as every morning. You minimise it, right? Like, you have to. If you do this kind of work, you continue on your day. It, it shakes you up a little inside, but you don't show it outside because we've always got to be strong that you can't have the group start to panic. But when you do medical work, you know that those bombs dropping mean more death, mean more injury. When I hear those bombs drop, you know, that's, it's real, it's real people's lives. Too much. I'm here at the border, having just said goodbye to our local staff here. It's really difficult to say goodbye to this. You know, I have a, a partner and a, a dog at home who are... Who are looking forward to seeing me, who have been very worried about me. And the things I've seen here never leave me. And I hope I can come back. I hope I can work some more. Uh, but I hope I don't have to. There's so much pressure on Israel now to get more aid and humanitarian assistance into Gaza. If they're saying we're doing what we can with the checks we need to do to make sure stuff isn't getting to Hamas, which shouldn't, is it clear how that flow of aid could be increased? What are the other workarounds or things that could work? Shipping is the crucial thing, getting aid in via Ashdod rather than overland. You can, sh If you have container ships, you can 
bring in a huge amount more. So if Ashdod was fully open and A was going in there and then trucks were sort of continuously going into Gaza, they could also open Erez. I don't believe that aid has gone in through Erez, which is the kind of northern crossing between mm. Israel and Gaza. The UK just, just very recently airlifted aid into Gaza with the Jordanian military. But to be honest, th- th- there are limits to how much you can actually get in by air. George, thinking about the, the pressure on Israel to do more on this front and how that has, as you've explained, slowly risen over the four and a half months, where could it go next? do you think? I mean, if Israel's already ignoring the ICJ, arguably, it's not fully taking on board what the US, who is funding a lot of its um, war efforts, is saying to them, how could the international pressure develop in a way which would actually mean that Israel does more on the aid front? I think Rafa is the Rubicon, really, isn't it? If they go into Rafa, despite the US warning them not to, despite Egypt warning them not to, despite the the whole of the world, basically, warning them not to. And that results in images of people desperately sort of trying to clamber over the border or go into Egypt, escape via Sinai. You can see how how public opinion would quickly turn against Israel. I think one of the problems reporting about Israel is that we fail to adequately think about their internal politics and what the situation was before October the 7th. Bear in mind, this is the most extreme iteration of, of a right-wing government we've seen in Israel ever. We have ministers in Benjamin Netanyahu's government who are West Bank settlers themselves, who fully believe that Gaza should be occupied at the end of this war. They believe in sort of resettling it. Um, they have talked up the idea of expelling Palestinians to perhaps Africa. They mooted Congo at one point. These are not fringe figures now. These are members of the government. Mm. And Netanyahu himself, who's a great political survivor, is, polling suggests, very unpopular in Israel. And he relies on these ministers to maintain his coalition. And he cannot risk upsetting them uh, because they could collapse his coalition. That results in elections. And he would, in all likelihood, Lose. So even if there's international pressure to open the floodgates of aid and scale back the offensive and not go into Rafa, the domestic politics, the pressure is all going in the opposite direction. Do you think Netanyahu and the war cabinets pay any heed to what the, the Western international pressure is? I mean, how large does that figure, if at all? I mean, the UK is certainly irrelevant. The yeah. UK doesn't matter. The US, yes, they do. The problem is the US has elections coming up in November so as far as Netanyahu is concerned, he might not be working with Biden by the end of the year. If Netanyahu's calculation is that if I can get through to November, then I might be safe and I'll have US support no matter what. Out of Gaza, Ian is now safe. But it's a complicated route home. A bus ride across the Sinai Desert and then a plane from Cairo. I'm about three hours away from Cairo now, driving through the beautiful Sinai Desert, listening to music and (laughs) honestly having a little cry. There's like a lot to process, a lot to get through. I don't really know how 
<laughs> I'm supposed to be back in Glasgow tomorrow. I don't understand how I get to go back to normal life. You know, I'm I'm a really big fan of cooking. Like it's it's my favourite hobby, and I've got a really nicely stocked kitchen. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I just there's so much desperation where I've come from. Yeah, sorry, I'm struggling to articulate myself right now. Finally back in Glasgow, his partner Georgie and their dog Callie welcome him back. Both were very excited. I have a feeling the dog was more excited than the partner, but it was uh, very lovely, a very lovely return. Although it's with a heavy heart that I am back. Remember who I am? Oh, yes, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who is it? Who is it? You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Luke Jones, and my guests, Times politics and defence correspondent George Grills and volunteer paramedic for CADUS, Ian Campbell. There is plenty more reporting on the ongoing situation in Gaza at thetimes.co.uk, or you can find it in print every day. If you want to hear more about the situation in Gaza, why not listen to the episode we did with Times correspondent Amal Hellas? We've put a link to that episode in the description. Producers were Sean Bradley and Edward Drummond. The executive producer today was James Shield. And sound design was by Mal Aceto. Stories of Our Times at thetimes.co.uk is how you can reach us with any suggestions, brickbats or bouquets. A nice review on whatever app you're listening to us on would be very nice and would help other people find us. Goodbye. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.